0: The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, there are some verses in the Bible that are so weighty, so profound, so significant that once you read them, it's like you can't ever unread them, right? Right? Like Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 19, verse 1. The the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Or John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Or Ephesians 2:8. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. <laughs> Weighty and profound and significant verses. And Romans 8:28. Our text for this morning is one of such verses. Romans 8 verse 28 says, And we know, and we know, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. (laughs) You can't unread that. It's weighty, it's profound, it's significant. One of my old favorite preachers, Martin Lloyd-Jones, says there's no greater privilege on earth than to be allowed to examine a statement such as this. And the reason that he says that is because we're not just examining a sentence, we're actually contemplating and considering doctrinal truth that is true and applies to us. The, old, the, the late uh, commentator John Stock calls Romans 8.28 a, a pillow upon which to rest our weary heads. It's a reminder, isn't it? That God is at the helm. He, he is steering us through every storm and he will get us home. He's got this. He's got He's got you. He's got everything under control. All things work together for good for Christians. That's what Paul's laying down here in Romans eight twenty eight. All things. Do you believe that? Or are you skeptical about that? There's really no middle ground on a doctrine like this. He's either working it all together or, or he's not. We either believe it or, or we doubt it. But when we believe it, man, it makes all the difference in the world. It'll make all the difference in your life. Now listen, but before we get further into this, we, we have to acknowledge that this verse, Romans eight twenty eight it has to be handled with care. You might be here this morning with a very recent and raw wound, some really fresh suffering in your life, and the idea, right, the truth that somehow God is working that for good in your life as a Christian, man, it feels like hollow words for pain that you're experiencing right now. I get that. Listen, that doesn't make this verse untrue. But, but it might just be the, like the right truth, wrong time for you right now this morning. That can be okay. Listen, it, it also might be the right truth, perfect time for you this morning. I don't know. But God does. In my experience, Romans 8.28 works better as a vaccine than it does an ice pack. All right? We need it in us before we need it for us. That's how vaccines work. Right? An and ice pack is more like, oh, something hurts. Here, try this. I don't, I just try this. We'll see. All right? I've used Romans 8.28 before as a gospel ice pack. Have you? Especially when I was younger and a more immature believer, especially when I unconsciously, like, didn't, I didn't realize I was doing this, but I think looking back on it, I probably unconsciously didn't want to enter into someone's pain. It's thrown around on everything that hurts, bypassing the real pain that was, that was present. If that's happened to you, like, I'm sorry. That person's intentions were probably mostly good, and this truth is, is still true. But, hey, it, it might have been right truth, wrong time. Might have been. And so we need to handle it with care. Can we just agree as a church to handle this verse with care? Now, I'm not here today to do anything fancy, nothing novel with this text this morning. I don't have have to do anything more, I don't have anything more profound to say than what it says for itself. Instead, my aim is simply for us to dwell here on, on the word of God and this truth that for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose, he works all things together for good. As we slow down and and dwell on this verse, the first thing I want to draw our attention to is the fact that Paul tells the Romans that he's writing to that this is something he expects them to know. And we know, he says. We know. And the and here connects us to what he's just been writing. The verses immediately before verse 28, it also connects us to the wider argument of Romans 8 where Paul is working to provide us with full assurance An absolute certainty of our ultimate and final and complete salvation. And we know, we know, he says, you and I both, Romans, and by extension and application to us. This is something we know, Christians. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Do you know that? Do you know this truth? Not just in your head, not, not just that it's like it's here in the Bible, some, oh yeah, 828, that's where, not just that it exists, do you know it in your heart? Is it actually making a difference in your life? Paul says we know this. We should know this. Why? How? How are we supposed to know this? Well, one way to know this is by reading our Bible. You know, if, we, if we read our Bible, we know this because we see this in the Bible. Think about Joseph in the Old Testament book of Genesis, sold into slavery by his brothers and then grows into a place of prominence and power in Pharaoh's court so that during the, the famine, God's people were able to move to Egypt and survive. And Joseph is able to say to his brothers in Genesis 45 verse 8, it wasn't you who sent me here, it was God. God. He says in Genesis 50, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Hmm. I think about the time of Jeremiah in the Old Testament when God's people were hauled off into Babylonian exile. In Jeremiah chapter 29, God tells the exiles, those who've been removed from their homes, removed from their land, he tells them 70 years from now, which I hope you realize that most of them will be dead 70 years from now, he says, when most of you are are dead, he says, Look, in 70 years, I'm going to bring you back into the land, for I know the plans I have for you plans for welfare and and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Hmm. But it was a hope, right, that most of them would never see, because they'd be dead. And yet, God was working all things together for good for those who love them. He was at work in ways that apart from this word from Jeremiah, they would have never understood. He was at work in ways that they would never actually see. We could go on, we could talk about Esther, the jewish orphan girl who was taken from her adopted family because she was beautiful and brought into the the harem of king ahasuerus and to be objectified essentially and yet if we know the story we we know that god was positioning her in a place of power and influence to preserve his people this is why mordecai says to her at one point in the story of esther who knows whether you've come not come to the kingdom for such a time as this Or we could just go straight to the cross. <laughs> Peter says in in Acts chapter two. It's the very first sermon that he preaches to the Jews. He says, "You killed him. This Jesus, you crucified and killed him. And yet, he says it was all within the definite plan and foreknowledge of God." <laughs> Church, if we read our Bible, we'll know. We know. That for those who love God, all things work together for good. Even evil. Even when we can't see it or won't see it in our lifetime, like the Babylonian, the exiles in Babylon, right? Even when it seems repulsive, like in the time of Esther. Even when it seems like there's no way that this could possibly be the good plan of God. Like Jesus dying on the cross. This is important for us to remember. This is important for us to know. Paul assumes this knowledge in the saints in Rome. And we're to know it too. As Christians, we don't know everything, even though some of us think we do. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest, right? We do. Um, We don't know everything, but we do know this one thing. I mean, bring it back into your life through Romans 8 and what we've been looking at for the last three weeks. Suffering, verse 17. Groaning, verse 23. Our weaknesses, verse 26. We don't always know why these things have come into our lives. In fact, sometimes we're so perplexed that we don't even know what to pray for, remember? But even then, especially then, as Christians, we can say, I have no idea what to do. I I don't get why this is all happening to me right now. I don't even know what to ask God for. But in spite of it all, in spite of what is happening to me right now, I know, I know. I know that this and everything else, all things, God's working it all together for good. Listen, when you have no idea why what is happening to you is happening to you, don't let it shake you from what you know. Don't allow the particulars of what is unknown to buck you off the glorious bronco reality of what you do know. What you need in that moment or in that season isn't more information it isn't new information that you need or a new way to look at it or a new religion or a new approach to life. You don't need another podcast. You don't need another blog post. You don't need another book to read. What you need is to remember what you already know. I mean, this right here, Romans eight twenty eight, is a promise that will transform how you face life. It'll transform how you face trials and affliction. It's about fortifying you with courage for any situation that comes your way. (laughs) And yet we also need to acknowledge this isn't a universal promise for everyone everywhere. Paul doesn't say, and we know God works all things together for good for everyone. There's actually two disclaimers that he puts On this promise. Two limiters that he puts on this promise. Do you see them? The first comes before the promise. The second comes right after. The first one describes what we do. The second describes what God has done. And we know for those who love God. That's number one. All things work together for good. Here comes number two. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now listen, the intention here isn't to distinguish between true and false believers. Remember, Paul is Paul's writing to the saints in Rome, as he tells us in chapter 1. Christians in Rome, he's, he's saying to be a Christian is to, is to be someone who loves God. It is to be someone who has been called according to God's purpose. This is who you are if you're a Christian. And so first, from a human perspective, Romans 8.28 belongs to Christians because the Christian is someone who loves God, really loves him. Not just someone who's interested in the Bible, even though that's important. Not just someone who goes to church, so that's essential. The the Christian is someone who loves God, someone who embraces His purpose, one who trusts in Him, one who seeks to bring His or her life into obedience with God's Word. That's what Jesus said in John 14. If you love me, what? You'll keep my commandments. Oh, you can study him, you can serve him, you can serve his church and, and learn Christianese, but do you love him? Like, really love him. Like, do, does your heart ever just burn for him? Do you find your, your, your mind just sort of, sometimes just drifting over to thinking about him? Delighting in him, being satisfied in him, man, worshiping him. Do you love him? And just in case you're tempted when you hear that to ask yourself, gee, I I don't know. Do Kind of, but do I love him enough to merit this promise? Just just in case, that's where your mind goes. that's where your thoughts go. Paul adds here the second disclaimer. He adds to what you do, what God has done. He's called you according to his purpose. Do you see it there? He's initiated with you. And the calling here is what we refer to as effectual calling. We'll talk about that more next week. It comes up again in verse 30. But essentially, what it means to be called according to God's purpose is that He has sought you, He has bought you, and He has brought you into His fold. By grace, through faith, it's not your own doing, it's a gift of God by the work of God, through Jesus? See, a Christian is not someone who has merely made a decision for Jesus. A Christian is not someone who just woke up one day and decided, you know what, I think I'll be a Christian. A Christian is someone who has been called. Called by God into a relationship with God. Not just invited, but ransomed. Brought in, effectually called. His calling is effective. That's the thrust of what it means to be called. And so Romans 8.28 applies to those whom these two disclaimers are true for. That you love God and also have been called according to his purpose. Listen, if we know the Bible, we should also note that these disclaimers are inseparably tied together in the life of a Christian. 1 John 4, 19 tells us that we love because God first loved us, which also means we wouldn't love God in the biblical sense if he hadn't first loved us. And therefore, if you find that you love him, if you find that you have biblical love for him, you, you desire his law in your heart, you, you long to, to bring your life into conformance with his word and his commandments, you, you, you love his people, you worship him, you enjoy him, and all of that, right? As imperfect as your love for him may be, if you have biblical love for him, as imperfect as it may be, your love for him is a proof that he loves you. See, from a divine perspective... Those who love God, that's the first disclaimer in 828. From a divine perspective, those who love God do so because, second disclaimer, we've been called according to his purpose. They're absolutely interrelated. We've been sought, we've been bought, we've been brought, we've been loved. And listen, the only possible response is to love him back with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Those that do, those who love him, have been called according to his purpose. The word of God promises here, all things work together for good. Listen, if that's not you today, if you're like, I don't know if I love God, I'm not sure I'm called according to his purpose. If, if the disclaimers don't fit, this promise is not for you. But it can be. Just as much as it can be for any of us or just as much as it is for any of us here today. How? Simply by turning to Jesus in faith, trusting in him, believing that what he accomplished on the cross was, was for you, that he, he's forgiven your sins and reconciled you into a relationship with the Father. You realize, man, I, I, can, I can stop trying to, to get myself right with him and instead trust that he's gotten me right with him? Give up on my own works and efforts to, to impress God instead be impressed by the works and the efforts of Jesus? That's how. I mean, think about it. Whether you're a Christian or not, do you understand what we're talking about here? <laughs> we're literally talking about all things, everything, everywhere, always working together for good. <laughs> Think about the alternatives. Have you thought about the alternatives? <laughs> One alternative is to look at bad things that come your way and say, There's no way any good could ever come of this. No way. And from there, maybe grow increasingly cynical over time. You know somebody like that. The older they get, the more cynical they've gotten, the harder and harder and harder their life seems to get because they look at the bad around them and they say, How could this possibly be good? Another is to buy into the power of positive thinking, that's another alternative. Hoping things will turn out, hoping that you'll catch a break or hit it big or or whatever. Not focusing on the bad things, just the good things. Cut those bad things out of your life. Don't let the bad things get you down. Just drum, drum, drum yourself up, you know? With no real capital backing it up. Which means when things do go bad, and they do when things actually go really bad in your life, your hopes are pop like a balloon. Another, is to, another alternative is to despair at all the evil in the world. Just, just, just despair at it. Maybe ignore it. Put your head in the sand and just hope that it goes away pretty soon. Or, or to wear yourself to the bone trying to fix it all, which is like trying to push an aircraft carrier onto the beach from the ocean by yourself. Contrast those alternatives with the promise that we have as Christians. We know, brothers and sisters, we know that for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. All things. Everything, everywhere, always together for good let's meditate on this all things bit for just a little bit shall we all things in context of course as i already mentioned it includes our sufferings it includes our groanings our weaknesses absolutely but paul doesn't leave it there he doesn't say these things he says all things now all things includes these things but he opens it up further And listen, I I looked it up this week in the Greek. You know, I I, I got the dictionaries out. I got all the way down in there. Like, what are all things? What's the original mean? I got all the way down in there. You know what all things means in the original Greek? All things. Every last one of them. Yep. By all things, Paul means all things. He doesn't say some things work together for good. He doesn't say most things work together for good or the nice things. He doesn't even say Christian things work together for good. All things, he says, all things means all things. (laughs) Everything from your past, including your regrets. Everything from your present, Including all of your far too familiar deficiencies. All things. All your choices. All your mistakes. Your wrong turns. Your missed opportunities. All things. All your suffering. All of it. All of your sickness. All the sickness of your loved ones, all of your losses? All things. Every trial, every tribulation, every persecution. All things. Even evil. Do you have a do you have a category for evil in this world? I mean, you better. There are some things in this world that can only be described as evil. And Paul says here, even evil. Remember Joseph? Sold into slavery. We can call that evil because the Bible does. Right? The buying and selling of human beings is Evil. And yet even though his brothers meant it for evil, scripture tells us, God meant it for good. And God doesn't send evil. The the world is a broken place. Every hard thing that comes into your life isn't a personalized hell just for you. He doesn't send evil and yet evil exists and he permits it to exist. And he works even evil, all of it together for good for those who love him. All things. Are you starting to see why we need to handle this verse with care? (laughs) Listen, all things includes also your limitations, all of your wounds. Even if you can't or don't get to see how he does it, like God's people in Jeremiah's day, he works it all together for good. Even if it's repulsive, like in Esther's day, even if it's unexplainable, like Jesus dying on the cross, even if it seems like there is no possible way that this is within God's good plan. Listen, even sin. Have you thought about that? Paul doesn't say all things except sin. And so therefore, even sin. Now, that's in no way an invitation to sin or an encouragement to sin. In fact, if you love God, like the disclaimer adds, you'll hate sin and wage war against your sin. But as we've said over and over in this series, even though that war is still going on, each of us still does sin. Even sin. Even doubts. Even doubts about Romans 8.28. Even seasons of desolation, where you lose track of the felt presence of God in your life, when He seems far, far away. And the only way to describe your relationship with Him is dry. The dark nights of the soul, all things. All things, which means, listen, we never have to wonder, is this the moment that God is abandoning me? We never have to wonder that. If you belong to God through Jesus, you cannot, will not, ever step out from under the umbrella of Romans 8:28. All things Nothing can touch you without his gracious and wise permission. I mean, can can you imagine if you lived every moment of your life like that was actually true? Wouldn't you finally be able to relax? Wouldn't you just like every day walk around wearing a no fear shirt from the 90s? Just no fear. John Newton, my 18th-century homeboy, summed up Romans 8:28 this way. He said, "All shall work together for good. Everything is needful that he sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. All things together for good." Now notice, Paul doesn't say that all things are good. That's not what he says. Cancer is not good. War is not good. Injustice is not good. Racism is not good. Evil is not good. Sin is not good. Paul doesn't say all things are good. No, he says, in the midst of this terribly broken world, God is taking it all, He is working it all, He is ceaselessly, tirelessly, purposefully acting. Working it all together for good for you, Christians. (sighs) Can we just admit, though? Sometimes, oftentimes, maybe it doesn't seem that way. It it doesn't seem like it. (sighs) Can we admit that? Like, just sometimes you wake up and you're like, "All things." I don't know, man. Like, what about this? Really? This which means you and I desperately need to understand how Paul defines good. See th- this verse as as great as it is doesn't come to us in isolation. Biblical truth never really works that way. There's context. And if you, you know, you can rip this verse out of Romans 8, put it on a bumper sticker, but if you do, you run the risk, right, of completely losing Paul's intention for his original readers, and therefore us. What does Paul mean here when he says, God is working all things together for good? Well, to answer that, we keep reading. Look at it again, I'll read 28, but then we're going to continue on through 30. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, you might be thinking, next week's going to be fun, and you're right. You're right. You're going to want to come back for that. But Paul tells us here in verse 29, he tells us his definition of good. It's us being conformed into the image of the Son. That's the good. That's the good. That's actually what he's working all things together for. God's goal for your life is to make you more like Jesus. That's how God defines good. And to the Christian who loves God, remember? There's nothing better. That's what we want most. See, our problem is that we need to redefine the word good in our lives. God is not working all things together so you'll be rich, happy, healthy, successful, popular, and looked to as an influencer on social media. Instead, he's working all things together so that you'll become more like Jesus. This is the work that he began in you that he has promised to see through to completion. When we look at all things through that lens, it's easier, not always, but it's easier to see how all things are working together for good. See, anything God uses to, let's just say, surface idolatry in your life is good. Suffering will sometimes do that. Very painful way, very painful ways, but suffering will sometimes do that. Facing your limitations will do it, too. Anything that surfaces sin, that you then repent of and seek to kill in your life is good. Anything that helps you see your ongoing need for forgiveness and the ongoing need for the gospel and your ongoing need for Jesus and his spirit and his strength and his help is good. Anything that causes you to dig deeper into his word is good. anything that drives you to digging deeper into understanding him and his character and his ways, anything that causes you to wrestle with God is good. As is anything that drives you to prayer. Anything that drives you to prayer. It's been said that easy lives weaken our communion with God. Hmm. Some of you know that to be true. The ease of our lives has caused us to drift maybe into a weakened state of communion with God. We think we got it pretty well taken care of on our own. And therefore, anything that wakes us up, anything that strengthens our communion with God is good. Anything that drives us back to him in greater and greater dependence, anything that grows our understanding of his love and his grace and his mercy and his tenderness or even his wrath is good. Anything that warns us of the errant ways that we tend to go is good. Anything that draws wandering souls back to God is good. Good. Anything that awakens sleepy and slothful souls back to the reality and the presence and the need for God is good. Trials will do that. John Newton said it this way. He said, trials are medicines measured out with care and prescribed by our wise and gracious physician." He proportions the frequency and weight of each dose exactly to what the case requires. And it's good. Anything that humbles a proud heart is good. Think about Paul, the author of our letter, right? What's he say in 2 Corinthians 12 about that stupid thorn that he'd really like to get rid of, right? Evidently, the Lord's goal was not to rid Paul of everything that bugged him or bothered him or plagued him and wouldn't go away. Instead, it was there to lead him into the truth that Jesus' grace was sufficient for him. Anything that leads us to a greater understanding of the sufficiency of Jesus' grace is good. Anything that sweetens the promises of Scripture to us, anything that strips away the artificial supports that we try to lean on and instead directs us to God and His grace is good for us. Anything that produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope, is good. Anything that teaches us compassion or equips us to minister to others is good, lest we over-individualize Romans 8.28 and read only me at the loss of we that's in here. And anything that loosens our love for this world And our attachment to this world is always good for us. Anything that helps us to see the vanity of this world, anything that makes us yearn for heaven and yearn for Christ's return and the restoration of all things and getting to spend eternity with him and praising him and worshiping him, anything that makes us yearn for glory is good. That's where this is all headed, by the way a glorification that's verse 30 the, the finalization of our being conformed into the image of Jesus that's the end goal of his purpose the purpose Romans eight twenty eight tells us that you and I have been called into it's an eternal purpose we're going to see next week beginning in eternity past with divine foreknowledge And how those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of the Son. And those whom he predestined, stick with it, he called. And those whom he called, he justified, are being called and are being justified, are fused together in verse 30 in such a way that all who are called are also justified, counted right before him now, pronounced there's no condemnation over you now. And the whole point then of Romans 8 is to tell us that those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's as good as done. You and I will live forever with Jesus as those conformed into the image of Jesus, to the glory of Jesus for all eternity. No condemnation, no separation. That's the purpose. That's the plan. If you love God, if you've been called according to his purpose, you, my friend, have been called into this purpose. This is the foundational reason why all things work together for good for us as Christians. God's unstoppable purpose and calling believers to himself for all eternity cannot be thwarted, will not be thwarted. He knows what he's doing. He's literally thought of everything. You can't screw this up. For those who love God, for those who have been called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. We know this. Let's you and I live in light of this, moment by moment, no matter what comes our way. Let's pray. Father, we humbly come before you now and thank you for Jesus through whom we have been brought in on this amazing purpose of yours. And we declare this morning with your word that all things were created by him and through him and for him and that in him all things hold together. And as he holds them together, he works it all together for good for us. Oh, Lord, would this weighty and profound and significant truth create in us courage and calm and joy and endurance? and trust. Do this work in us, Father, by the power of your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.